0: Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms of preteens, teens, and young adults. My mission is to first and foremost, support and encourage you, mom, so that you can live well and reclaim your life. Two, this show will help you have the best possible relationships with your teens so that you can communicate, motivate, and guide them effectively and actually enjoy them. And third, I will bring you top notch guests who will share the newest in adolescent research and trends so you can be prepared and aware of what your teens are facing today. Always, you will leave each episode armed with practical parenting tips. Welcome back, everyone, to the 214th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. I know many of you have seniors that are about to graduate, and you're feeling the pressure of how to make the most of the time that you have left, and you're worried about what you need to do. I'd be happy to answer some of your questions. You can just email me your questions at Colleen, that's two L's and two E's at dialdownthedrama.com, And I will be answering your questions on a podcast coming out May 8th. So send me your questions now. So one thing that you can do in the meantime is order my newest book, Dial Up the Dream, Make Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You. You can buy it anywhere. And if you are a mom on the go, you can order it on Audible. And if you like to underline, then you can order your physical copy of the book. And if you're wondering what to give your friend who is a senior mom or even a college mom, this is a perfect and really helpful book. Today, we're going to talk about a really important but difficult subject. So on my podcast, I want to inspire, give practical advice, but I also educate you about what our kids are facing. I brought in an expert to talk about sextortion. And what is that? Sextortion is a serious crime that occurs when someone threatens to distribute your private and sensitive material if you don't provide them images of a sexual nature, sexual favors, or money. Our guest today is Jennifer Kelman. Jennifer Kelman is a mental health expert on Just Answer, where she has provided online support to those in need since 2012. In addition to her work on Just Answer, Kelman has been a licensed clinical social worker for more than 30 years and maintains a private practice specializing in relationships, parenting, and children's mental health issues. She is also a children's book author, having written three books that delicately weave in themes of trust, vulnerability, and hope in her stories. Kelman has lectured extensively around the country and appeared on news and television programs covering a range of issues, including relationships, parenting, body image, eating disorders, and children's mental health.
1: So welcome, Jennifer Kelman. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you. Yes, a fellow therapist. A fellow therapist and a fellow mom. Yes, true. So tell us the ages of your kids. I have twins who are young teens. They are 13 years old. So I'm in the thick of it right now. Wow. Are they like a boy and a girl? Yes, I have a boy and a girl, so they give me the best of both worlds. <laughs> I there get a you lot go. of practice. All right,
0: so can you tell us a little bit about your background and like what is just answer?
1: So, I've been a licensed clinical social worker for more than 30 years, and I love my work. It's rich, it's amazing. I get to touch a lot of people. I hope I get to interact with a lot of people dealing with different things. And many years ago, I came across an incredible uh, platform called Just Answer, and it's simply justanswer.com, and it connects individuals with professionals of all different facets of the professions. You can find a lawyer, you can find a doctor, you can find a therapist like myself, a parenting expert, relationship expert, a vet, and simply log on, ask a question and get yourself answered. Now, the reason why I love it is not just because you have the ability to get support very quickly, but it's also very accessible to people who might not otherwise have the ability to get into therapy or to find support quickly. So it's this very quick, like we're talking about social media device access, but it's a very quick and wonderful way if you're struggling with anything to get that support that you need. So Just Answer, for me as a professional, has been an unbelievable experience and also the fact that I have reached so many people over the, I think, maybe 11 years that I've been working on the platform. It's been incredible. Now, would this be considered therapy or is it just asking a question? It's a great question. It is not therapy and it should never be in the place of therapy. So a lot of times with my work on Just Answer, I will see what's going on, provide the support, and then make some suggestions or recommendations that I believe that they should be in therapy. But not all issues require that long-term commitment for therapy. And sometimes you can get a simple parenting question ranging from ages. You know, I have a toddler who is having some tantrums. Can you help me? Or I have a teenager who's addicted to their device. Can you help me? And I can give some thoughts and suggestions and feelings and it'd be a wonderful interaction, which doesn't need long-term therapy. But if I felt that it did, I would certainly make that recommendation.
0: That's just a great resource for people. So if someone has a question, they don't even know where to start, you're probably a great resource for people.
1: It's exactly right. It's beautifully stated by you. And a lot of times we as therapists, you you and me the same, we take it for granted perhaps that we would just know what to do if our child was struggling with something but not everybody has that access. So for me, just answer is off the charts because of accessibility and the ease. Just type in justanswer.com and you're on there and you, you know, get connected with the professional again in whatever area that you need. And so it's quick, it's easy and affordable, of course, and just simply the best. I, I can't rave enough about it. I'm I'm happy to be a part of it.
0: That's so great to know about it. So what kind of questions? do you hear a lot from the moms when they're talking about teens or tweens? Since my audience is mostly moms.
1: I think, you know, you and I were joking a little bit before about we long for the old days where the issues were something simple of my child stayed out past curfew. Can you help me? Or my child got caught cheating in school by looking over a friend's shoulder when they weren't really cheating. They were just moving their head. And those problems back then felt large and looming but I think for kids these days they're up against a lot more my personal and professional view on that is because of again that word accessibility how much is accessible to our young teenagers and kids from device use iPads telephones did I even say the word telephone anymore see I'm dating myself already (laughs) I don't think so cell phones iPads, Chromebooks, whatever it may be, the latest iPhone, I think that it has caused some serious stressors for our kids and our parents, specifically in this case, moms. And I think we're all floundering a little bit. But when I say that, I don't want to sound where it's hopeless because it's not hopeless. You and I are together today because we feel hopeful. We wouldn't be having this discussion if we just threw our hands up and said, we have no ability to affect any change here. We do. The biggest way is to share in the common struggle. And what I mean by that is so many times I find parents, especially moms, are embarrassed or shameful about what their child might be dealing with, that they sit alone and quiet within it, as opposed to reaching out. And that old saying is, it takes a village we'll rely on that village. You and I are doing that today and hopefully reaching your village, but we don't need to suffer in silence. We shouldn't suffer in silence. We should reach out, not be embarrassed, not be ashamed because all of us at one point, even as adults and our children are going to get into some scrapes, make some mistakes, and we need the support to get through it, whether it's from a just answer or our village. But I find in my work that people are stuck in the silence because of embarrassment. And I wish we could change that framework a little bit, that some of this is no fault of anyone's, just, again, that accessibility, what's there for our kids, but reach out and get the support that we need, whether it's from a professional or your friend or family group.
0: That is so true. And I think, okay, two things that I see is that there is an embarrassment that their kid got into some of this stuff, or what I see, I totally empathize with mothers is we're not even expecting our kid would be faced with some of this stuff. And we're just like, we're sideswiped. Like we just think we've taught our kids right or wrong. We've taught our kids values and like, they'll be okay. But like you said, this accessibility creates a whole new dynamic That it's not about good kids or bad kids. It's about kids just with that accessibility and being exposed to things that they have no idea how to handle.
1: Correct. And I'm going to add another layer to it. Okay. When you said good kid or bad kid, but how about also good parenting or bad parenting? Yes, absolutely. And all of us, moms and dads, have the, let's call it a disability, to quickly go into, well, if my child has gotten themselves into something from device use, or we'll get into in a little bit, sending photos of themselves, that somehow that's a reflection on bad parenting. And that's why I'm calling it a disability. It's a disability in thinking because we can be the best parents, whatever that means. And there's no one size fits all and there's no right or wrong way to do things. The same goes true for your children. They're gonna get into scrapes. It doesn't mean they're a bad child, but we are so quick to, and this goes back to why we stay silent and why we don't reach out to our village, our mom village to get support, because it taps into our negative thinking about what it says about our parenting. If we have this wonderful child and all of a sudden has sent a photo and gotten themselves into some difficulty and become a victim, of what we're now calling sextortion, that somehow that means we have done it incorrectly as parents. And that is not true. So if there's one thing I could lend to everybody listening today and and forever is that your child is not a bad child for getting into some scrapes and you are not a bad parent, you are not a bad mom if that happens. There is no relationship there, so don't make one. And rely on your village because you'd be surprised that your support system won't be as judgmental as you are on yourself, and they will help you. Because all of us, if we all were as open as vulnerable, we might see that we're all in this together, and we all have the same struggles.
0: I completely agree. So, how big a problem is this sextortion scenario? And are you seeing it in the questions that you answer on
1: Just Answer? And what are the parents saying to you about it? Like we were talking about at the beginning, the old days we worried about breaking curfew. But now we're worried about with device use and the accessibility of the internet and apps and chatting with strangers and gaming, Sex torsion has become a real problem. I see it in my private practice. I see it on Just Answer and I'm seeing it We're almost the beginning stages of my child is addicted to the phone. I noticed that they were chatting with a stranger. What do I do? But I'm going to go a step further because there are different levels of this sextortion or ways in which it's happening. So you have one way which it's happening with someone familiar to you. So let's just say your teenager has a boyfriend for the first time. And that boyfriend is saying to your child, your daughter, if you loved me, you would send me a photo of your private parts. And maybe your daughter feels, no, this is wrong, but it's her first boyfriend. She's excited. She doesn't know how to say no to that for fear of the relationship ending. So she sends the photo with trust and hope that that photo stays between. He promises that he'll delete the photo, but there's no such thing as a deleted photo anymore, as we know, because screenshots are taken and they're shared and there are clouds and all this stuff. So there's no such thing as that. But remember our young teens and teenagers, older teens, the prefrontal lobes of their brains are not fully developed. So, That sense of trust or that ability to look further down the road to say, well, if I do this, this is going to happen, isn't developed. I'm not giving a full pass to say, oh, well, any child can come home and be like, well, mom, you know what? I messed up tonight because my prefrontal lobe isn't fully developed. I'm not saying we give our our kids that ability to use that as an excuse, but they're not in that moment able to see and and perhaps think past if I do this. So now they send the photo, that relationship is bust because we're in middle school or early high school and there's no such thing as real relationships at that point, although it feels that way to our teenagers. Then that person uses that photo as a way to get back at them, is angry because they ended the relationship and uses that photo as a way to blackmail them, either to have them send more photos or to keep them together in the relationship. So that's the familiar way. The less familiar way, which I think is really where the huge issue lies, is with this stranger connection online. And that can happen either through gaming sites, social media sites, or chatting with strangers. And so many of the schools actually need to be better prepared and aware of this because there are programs that schools are using where kids still have the ability to chat with other people. And again, Sounds silly to say it in this way, but in the old days, you thought you were chatting with little Susie in a different state, but it wasn't little Susie. It was older man Ralph pretending to be little Susie with a fake profile and a fake photo. But now I am becoming aware of call centers in other countries being set up specifically to target teenagers and to rope them into sending images and videos and how Mm. they do this is stunning Mm. it couldn't have been better timing that two nights ago I got one of these emails wow Now, now thankfully I have a prefrontal lobe that on most most days is functioning well just depends what my teenagers are putting me through but it was stunning And I did several things. First was, I told my kids, because we discussed this obviously a lot in the house, but I said, oh, I just got one of these photos. I'm not clicking on anything in the email. I'm going to delete and report the email. But first, I'm going to take a screenshot so I print it out so I can use it in my work, but also use it with my kids. And if I wasn't an adult with a somewhat fully functioning prefrontal lobe, I can guarantee you I would have been petrified as a younger person, because the email is long. It's about two pages long. And it, it, the the subject line says, danger slash advice. And it comes from a seemingly nice name. Candace Wilkerson was the name. So now I put my teenage brain on. I said, oh, who's Candace? And I opened this up and it says, hello, I'm sorry to report. I have some horrible news for you. I have been watching your activity online and I've seen that you have been visiting adult porn websites. I have taken over your computer and your camera, but I will not distribute these photos if you pay me, and the the dollar amount for me was $1,590, and you can click on this link. Now, let's just say you say to yourself as a well-developed teenager, no, this is nonsense, but they click on the link anyway, those links are now installing the malware into your computer where they are gaining access. So initially they're telling you in that email that they've gained access, nonsense. When you click, now they're installing the malware. When they install that, they are skimming your social media. They're skimming your emails so they can see that you and I are friends. So then the next email could come and they could use your name. And now I'm saying, oh my God, they really do have contact with my contacts because they know names and they know where I go to school. So now the teenager is fearful because they visited sites. And let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about normal curiosity and not pathologize that as well. Kids are developing. Kids are learning about their bodies. Kids are learning about sexual intimacy and desires and hormones. And they're going to search. Long ago were the days of the magazines under the bed being hidden by the parents. Now the accessibility, like we talked about, is right in front of you online. So now this child believes it. They click on the email and they're extorted either by payment or sending more videos. Now the child believes that they have them on video already and then supplies them with stuff, which then it becomes this very vicious cycle of give me more. But when these call centers are being set up, remember there's no empathy involved there because that's their job. They've been employed to do this job. So appealing to a sense of common decency is out the window. Maybe with that earlier example I gave with the boyfriend-girlfriend scenario, you could appeal to a sense of decency and a parent could call a parent, but not with a call center, not with some bogus email that's being sent out to thousands of people, computer generated, hoping that at least a few people a day bite, a few people a day adds up to thousands and thousands of dollars. So the problem is huge. I'm seeing it on an Just answer. I'm seeing it in my private practice. The FBI has put out warnings. There was a t- statistic that they put out in 2022 that there were 7,000 reported cases of kids being mostly boys victimized online. But let's talk about that number for a moment. That's just who's been reported. Mm. How how many aren't being reported because of shame? Of that report that the FBI released, um, there were more than a dozen um, deaths by suicide directly related to this. Oh my gosh. um, Which my heart breaks. It makes me, I'm sure it makes you want to stay on a crusade and protect because this should not be happening We should not be shaming our children for being curious, but we should be teaching our children the ways in which to satisfy that curiosity that doesn't have you become a victim to this very serious and heinous crime. Oh my gosh. I didn't know it was that bad. It is that bad. I just filled your head with 10 minutes worth of my passion (laughs) and, and my fury over this. You want me to read you a little bit of this email? I'm just looking away for a moment. Okay. It starts with, hello, unfortunately, I have some unpleasant news for you. Roughly several months ago, I've managed to get a complete access to all devices that you use to browse the internet. Now, again, this is loaded with spelling errors and grammatical errors. But again, adult, as a child, you're not looking for this. So I immediately say, oh, scam. Now, I happen to not visit pornographic websites. So I'm able to say, well, they've got the wrong person. But if I did, I could easily be sucked into that and be like, oh God, I did visit something last week. And then what? It taps into all aspects of, of how they pull you in. I won't read all of it because it just goes on and on and on. I believe by this time, it is already clear for you why I was never deleted until I sent this letter, spelled incorrectly, all of that. While compiling the information related to you, I've also found out, that you are a true fan and frequent visitor of adult websites. So let's put on the teenage brain there, okay? Let's look at the panic. If these call centers are being set up or these emails are being generated, there is no sense of decency because they have a job to do. And that is to extort, threaten, and blackmail and get payment, period, end of story. So there's no parent to parent, you know what, little Johnny, little Susan. He made a mistake. Let's all sit down and get through this and work through it. There's that common sense of decency there that does not exist. Oh my goodness.
0: So you have two 13-year-old twins. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that you are talking about this stuff with them. How do you talk about it with them?
1: So I'm sure like you with your own children, at least I hope, when we have the skills that we do this for our profession, it's ingrained in us already to be open and vulnerable and allow our children to be the same as well. There's no such thing for me to have a subject that is taboo. Now, we can all agree that there can be giggles and silliness in these difficult conversations. But I have been talking for years, even before they were in this space, telling them what was coming down the pike. I happen to go to the extreme side where I am not a, here kids, here's the device, have at it. I have a very stripped down phone for them. It is not an iPhone. It does not have access to the internet. There are no social media apps. Now, you might have a parent listening right now who says, okay, well, Jen, good for you, but I can tell you that your children are going to go around you and all your restrictions and set up accounts and burner phones and all this. And yes, I'm prepared for that too. And I can only hope in the dialogues that we have and the trust that we're building, even through the difficult teenage years, that we can discuss that if that urge happens. And I check in with them about that. My head is not buried in the sand. I know that burner phones exist. I know that fake accounts exist through Fenn's phone and all of that. But I'm also of the mindset that the more we talk, the more you are giving them the ability that if they find themselves having gotten into one of these scrapes, and I'm calling it that on purpose, so as not to shame and make a huge mountain out of curiosity. It is a huge mountain on the side of the crime, but not on their end. The crime is the huge mountain, but not your child from being bamboozled and for being curious. So if you open up the lines of communication early and discuss these possibilities with them and teach them phone safety, then we can all hope and pray that they take those values and make the right choice at that moment Or if they haven't made the right choice, that they can then come to you when they find themselves in that scrape so that suicide is not on their screen as an option, that they are not alone, that they can come to you in a judgment-free zone. You can say, okay, yes, we've talked about this. You found yourself in this. Let's take care of it. How do we take care of it? FBI. Too many people are afraid to file the report. You've got to file the report. You've got to protect you've gotta do what you can. The other thing that's really important, and this is an analogy I make frequently, and it's somewhat stark, and when I say it, people are taken aback until they really acknowledge and believe it to be true, and that is what's so interesting to me, and again, no judgment, but what is so interesting to me in my work over these 30 plus years is that there isn't any parent that I've come across that as a teenager has handed their child drugs and said, here, enjoy these drugs, do with it what you want, and I need you to make good choices around it. But yet we hand over these devices and those devices have the same impact on the brain chemistry of adolescence as does a drug. But that's what is mind blowing to me. We don't hand that over. So why are we handing over the phones so early? question at some point is going to be, so what do we do? When do we hand it? Delay. Delay as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And then when you give it, it doesn't need to be the be all end all. It doesn't need to be the, you know, the Maserati uh, with all the bells and whistles. Now you're going to have a mom listening who's going to say, well, Jennifer, but every other kid has Snapchat. Every other kid has an iPhone. My kid's going to be made fun of. My kid's going to be left out. Perhaps that's true. But if it isn't the iPhone, it's going to be their hair, their nose, their size, their shape, their eye color. There's going to be something. So let's build up the esteem and the fortitude inside our children so that they can encounter. And I can tell you that my children have been made fun of for having an Android, a stripped down Android instead of an iPhone. Mm -hmm. They sort of laugh because I prepped them that it was going to happen. Yeah. Do I know that they wish inside I didn't do this (laughs) for a living and they could have the latest and greatest? Of course. Of course. But I'm going to do what I believe is my job for as long as I can do it. Talk with them openly along the way. And hopefully they can make the choice at that moment when they are confronted with it. Because I think that every child will be confronted with this at some point, whether it's in a relationship or some email that ends up in their inbox like it did mine, or chatting with a stranger through a social media app or a gaming website. My children don't game either. I prefer my kids outdoors playing sports. I think that has always been, not just now, but then the best thing for kids. Get them on a team, get them interacting face-to-face, get their heads and necks and eyes off a device and watch them thrive.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I had someone else on my podcast and she's talking about kind of the same thing, go Android, stair-step it with the no internet phone Mm -hmm. and slowly build it up.
1: I listened to that podcast of yours and I loved it. I don't have, and again, maybe I'm, you know, Pollyanna here, but I don't have such a sense of doom and gloom in terms of us not having some control over things. Yes, the world is moving fast. But still, at the end of the day, we are a parent. I have never been one, even in my own adolescent years, to succumb to peer pressure. I made it through high school and college, drug-free, playing sports. I believe that it can be done. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, knowing that everyone comes with a different sense of self and internal fortitude, and parents are up against Pressures. Your child's going to be left out if they're not on the group chat and Snapchat or or whatever it might be. And arm yourself with different responses to that. Like maybe that's true, but there are other ways to communicate. And I hope that your child will reach out to mine through an individual text and not lose friendships or meet up in the park or go for a lunch, go for a dinner. You will get pushback, but I do believe it's possible. Again, I am old fashioned, I know of no other way you know you can check back with me in 20 years and i can tell you all the <laughs> scrapes that they get into it will not be scrape free i know that every every child they have to there's no growth in comfort so in order for them to grow they are going to need to try on different things try in different hats try in different sizes make mistakes that's where the growth will be but i hope in those mistakes in those scrapes that they know that they are safe coming to the family, and Mm -hmm. finding safety and protection within it. I I think the most important
0: thing that we're talking about right now is that the teen, tween, young adult, even, are not isolated in these dilemmas. Correct. And so if there's a judgment-free, open relationship with an adult, with a parent, And they can say like, what the heck? And they can talk to their parents about it. That's what I think where our hope is. And then I also think our hope is that teens, if they feel like they're being taken advantage of, they can get mad about that. Mm -hmm. And so I think the education part is so helpful that predators exist and they're trying to get money and these are scams. Like the more teens are talking about that, I think that's where our hope is.
1: I, I love that idea. And if teens shared with each other, this is what you're saying. Yeah. Like we're saying, rely on the village of moms, that you don't have to pretend you're the perfect parent. Because I don't even know what that means. We need to grow as parents as well. We've all lost our minds with our children. And that doesn't make us a bad parent. It makes us a normal parent. Yep. But when we hide those parts of ourselves, that's when the danger really exists. Mm-hmm. So if kids, I love what you just brought up there. If kids, stunning, we should run a group together, an online group together, because if kids could rely on each other to say we're all in this together and we can connect without sending photos of our private parts or other ways. Yeah. Or this is what just happened to me. I just got this email And this is crazy that they wouldn't feel so alone. You know, and what comes up a lot also around this is parents sometimes get caught in checking devices, invasion of privacy. Again, let me go back to my old fashioned ways here. In the old days, everything was right out in the open. Kids were going behind parents' backs and doing the different things, but there was still the ability to know where your child was, what they were doing, being at the friend's house, not turning off the location settings on their phone to go to leave the phone here and go somewhere else. Now it's become, well, I can't check my child's phone because that would be an invasion of privacy. I'm not so sure I can agree with that wholeheartedly. I think that there's a boundary around it. But again, I think if there's an openness and an open and honest discussion with your children beforehand, that you are getting this phone but there needs to be an understanding and an agreement between us that if I'm worried, if I feel you're going underground, if I feel you're no longer sharing with me, if we're no longer talking the way we used to, or your friendships are changing, or you've totally dropped your friend group, and now you're with new, and I start to see changes, I might dip my toe in and take a peek. And there needs to be that open discussion so that it's not about invasion of privacy, And more about, again, this open, vulnerable relationship that you have, that as a parent, it is your responsibility to caretake your child in that way and not just have them run roughshod over what you believe to be true and right for yourself as a parent.
0: I agree. So I want to go back to something
1: that I feel like the girls are more vulnerable, but you're saying that the boys are? This sextortion tends to be happening more with boys. Wow. This is just an educated or an uneducated guess, whichever one you want to say. Mm -hmm. I I think if my gut were to tell me that boys at that younger age with desires happening and maybe feeling like they can't talk to their parents or a friend about it might find themselves searching online a little bit more and falling prey to that woman. And I'm saying it in quotes, and if you can hear the, the quotes of that woman, that girl on the other end of the chat, who is a fake profile, who's saying all the right things to that young boy. And he has now found a safe, what he believes is a safe place to express his curiosity. It's easy to fall victim. I'm not saying that girls don't fall victim. They do. But right now, it seems to be the preponderance is with teen boys. Oh, wow. My gut tells me that that will change. And I think it will even itself out. And girls will find themselves. There's a lot of guesswork that's happening right now as we're talking. And perhaps maybe girls might fall more victim in the familiar um, context. You would agree with that? Mm -hmm. That if they're in a relationship, their first boyfriend, the most popular football guy that she finally got him, if he's requesting that, and I promise I won't show anyone I think that's where girls might acquiesce to the request. That's what I've seen in my practice. Mm-hmm. And then again, remember, they're not necessarily extorting money at that point, but they are threatening them and blackmailing them, which is also a crime. Of, right. You know, if you don't do this, I'm showing the whole football team or, and I'm going to send it to all your social mm-hmm. media contacts and everybody at school in the community at large. Mm
0: hmm. Yeah. No, I've totally seen that. So if a family's already dealing with this, or a child's already been victimized, what advice do you have for those parents?
1: To come together as a family and to really take the shame and embarrassment out of it and not to pathologize the curiosity. Because Mm -hmm. we as parents could be so upended by it and think, how did this happen? I did everything right I have a smart kid, they're straight A's, they're playing sports after school. I couldn't, how did this happen? You could get so stuck in that thinking, that perfectionistic type thinking that your anger and your shame could overshadow at that point that the family as a whole needs healing and specifically your child. Yeah. And so love envelopment, possibly therapy will go a long way to healing. And where the child knows that, again, remember, that's a scrape and a mistake for them. And the person that was extorting them through the use of images and videos or sites that they visited, there's the crime. No pathology around this, acceptance for their curiosity, love and development, but also reach out to law enforcement to report it. And as I'm saying that, I'm hearing one of your listeners say, But how do you report it on someone at your school in the case of the familiar blackmail? Because you do. Because this needs to be reported. That child on the other end also needs some support and help therapy to get through what they're dealing with in terms of how they got themselves into thinking that that was okay to blackmail a friend, a child, a girlfriend. So all parties involved, all families involved need that support. And it does need to be reported. And yeah. all too often it isn't. So that number of 7,000 is just really, it's a very small number. I'm sure it's bigger. And you're saying you're seeing it in your practice a lot more with girls. The number yeah. probably larger.
0: And for the moms listening, I completely agree about the curiosity. I mean, I remember cute little sixth grade girl was in middle school, maybe a couple days and she heard some kids talking about vibrators. Mm-hmm. She didn't know what it was. So she went and Googled it and then, you know, all of a
1: sudden she's in a million porn sites. And not only is she in a million porn sites then, but then every algorithm got her search. And so now whenever she's doing math homework or whatever she might be doing on the school program, she's getting inundated with it. And please try to find a child that isn't going to click on something that keeps coming up, adults as well. And so then they get caught in this Mm-hmm. how I've been doing it. And you can tell me how how you've done it or how you're counseling your patients and families. I, I talk to them about their curiosity and maybe I'm hokey. I, 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 I am hokey. Don't, not, there's no maybe there. I, I've said to my children, like, let's go to Amazon. Let's find some books. And we've gone on Amazon. We've four or five books. They picked them out. I made sure that they were, you know, within that curiosity realm and not a pornographic book. And- Purchased on Amazon, books were delivered and have at it. Go read, underline, ask me questions if you want. I'm here, but here are your books. And so to me, again, who knows what's right and who's wrong? We all do this with trial and error. There is no, at least I didn't get one. Tell me if you got one. Did you get a guidebook when you were (laughs) becoming a parent? Right. So it's all trial and error for us. I gave them the books. And to me, that seemed like the hokey way to do it. Here's the way you explore. So just be open about things. Now, there will be a time where the kids naturally and correctly will become less open with you and not want to have these discussions. And that's when you as a parent, hopefully you've given them enough of a foundation with the values that you can pull back a little bit and know that maybe they're going to rely more on their peer group as a milestone of what they do normally, but that they're still accessing things in the appropriate ways and coming to you if they have questions Again, and they're not always going to come to you and you as a parent have to pull back and say, okay, at this point, they're growing up, they're relying more on their friend group and it's okay. So I like to say, give them the foundation and hopefully that they use that in the way that serves them best. But again, without the roadmap that they have to do it perfectly, they won't. We haven't done it perfectly as in our parenting Mm -hmm. And let's not put that pressure on ourselves or anyone else. I also want to say, like, just knowing your moms out there, listeners, I love your moms. I love your moms because I know that they're listening to you when you put out a podcast because they want to do things as best they can. But if you and I can lend anything to them, again, none of us got that handbook. So it's all trial and error. We're all doing the best at the end of the day. We have all laid on in that bed at night. In tears, thinking we messed up or we messed up our children forever. We didn't. We learned. Again, there's no growth in comfort. We become better parents when we mess up. Our children do it better the next time when they mess up. So envelop each other and rely on each other.
0: Yeah. And I think the good news is teens are resilient. And I think if we as parents can dial down the shame or judgment and can be more accepting. Kids can be more resilient.
1: I'm going to add one thing to that. Okay. So for, forever, we've all heard that kids are resilient. And I think that's true. But I also want to guard against just using that as a full way to just say they're resilient, they'll get better. Because there are going to be kids within that that don't have that resiliency. And it's okay also to be both resilient and have less resiliency, and when they aren't equipped with that naturally, because a lot of resilience comes from just it was almost by accident. It just, not every one of us is resilient all the time. But if we just say, oh, they're resilient, they'll bounce back, we could be missing that child that isn't as resilient and needs more of us as a way to care take them through that and almost lend them our space of being resilient so that they can rely on that. Does that make sense? Yes.
0: No. That's a really good point. I'm glad you said that. And I think I was making a lot of assumptions. So I will tell my moms what I was assuming. No. This is good. This is important.
1: Yes, and it's not to contradict your statement because your statement is true. But it's not as we know with parenting. There's no one size fits all. And I never want to lose that child that's out there Mm -hmm. that isn't naturally resilient. Because you could have four children in your house. Three of them could be the most resilient and one is less and what we don't want is to put that idea well the three the other three are resilient why aren't you and then we miss that vulnerability in that child yes so
0: what I am going to add to that is that if kids have gone through something that's I think is traumatic you can't just sweep it under the carpet and act like it didn't exist and I think percent correct so I what I didn't say there is that I do think that that is something that you do need to talk to a therapist about have have that teen work through that, but if they work through it, then they are resilient. I couldn't have said that better. That's exactly right. I was speaking for the parents because I think the parents see them as they're ruined forever. And so that was my gift to the parents is your child is not ruined forever. If they do the work, they can turn into advocates and protect other teens. There is hope, but you can't skip that step of
1: healing. That's a thousand percent correct. And you said it so beautifully. And what you just said so perfectly is that the actual work is the resilience. And if everybody can sit through those very painful feelings, And there is going to be shame and there is going to be embarrassment, but we don't need to further shame and add embarrassment, but that we acknowledge that there is shame and embarrassment that they might be feeling. But once they start talking within the family, once they start coming to you, once they do the work in therapy, therein lies the resilience. And then we as parents can use that as a reminder. Look what you just went through. Look how you climbed back up. You didn't succumb to it. You are not a bad person because you went through this. And in fact, you're going to come out stronger and look back on this as maybe even a stepping stone for the next difficult space in your life. Yes, yes,
0: yes. Because if a kid is alone with that shame, that is where the suicides happen.
1: That's correct. And there was one that I read about which was devastating. And this boy, I think it was in Tennessee where this sex order was saying, by the time your parents wake up, they're going to have their stuff on their computer. And so when the family was sleeping is when this child died by suicide. And it's so powerful, They're, they're so scared at that moment. And the shame and embarrassment of their parents seeing them exposed, they can't even at that moment think not rationally, but think past that moment and say, no, no, I'm going to be okay. I can go to my mom. I can go to the, the shame is so overwhelming and that's what overpowers them. And it is devastating to both me, you, every mom listening everywhere. And it doesn't need to be. So what does it come down to? It comes down to communication, open communication. Will it always be free and easy, open communication? Absolutely not. As Pollyanna as I am, my head is not in the sand. But if we lay the foundation, we do have that ability for that child in the middle of the night, not to feel, as you said, so alone that they can't reach out to someone. But it goes back to what we said earlier. Moms are not alone either. Yes. And the more we stay mired in shame and embarrassment and not share with our village, the more difficult time we are going to have as well as our children navigate this very, very tough world for them. I agree.
0: So we need to close this down. So do you have any last advice for the moms?
1: Yes. Stay in touch with each other. Stay in touch with your children. Let them know that nothing they do could cause you to love them any less and that even you as a teenager have gotten into some scrapes and survived with that resilience by doing the work. And no matter what the issue is, that your love and your care and you're providing them with a sense of safety will never, ever disappear, no matter what scrapes and mistakes they find themselves in. Yes. Well, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. And we we need to start a group together. (laughs) We We make a great team. This has been great.
0: This has been great. This is such an important conversation. So thank you.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your
0: Parenting, Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning best-selling books, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, And my newest release book, Dial the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You. You can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com. And that has two L's and two
1: E's.